Good morning, beloved. If you have a copy of God's word, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. We'll start our study here, our journey through Hebrews chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 here this morning. You have a handout uh, that was given to you to kind of uh, help you to picture uh, the things that the author will discuss in our in our passage here this morning. It'll be good to, I know for me, I'm a visual person. I need to see it. Uh, so prayerfully, uh, the handout will be a blessing to you as we go through this, this passage here this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, will be speaking on the subject, worship under the old covenant. Worship under the old covenant. Look with me at verse number one of Hebrews chapter nine. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and earthly and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their duties. But into the second only the high priest goes. And he, but once a year, and not without blood, uh, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age, according to this arrangement. Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. This is God's holy word. Let us govern ourselves accordingly to God's word. Uh, as we worship, as we worship God, we have been worshiping God here uh, this morning. And what lies at the heart of our worship is the holiness of God. Worship is a response to who God is, to what God has said, and to what God has done. In other words, worship is a response to all that God is to us. 
as believers. Worship is made possible. We talked last Sunday uh, in, in reference to the new covenant and the, the work that God will do in the people of God uh, in the new covenant. Look back at chapter 8, uh, verse 9, talking about uh, the, the, the new covenant is not like the covenant that uh, God said that I made uh, with their fathers, talking about Israel on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this covenant, the new covenant, the, the covenant in which we are all uh, partakers of this. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach one. Each, uh, they shall, shall not teach uh, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of, the, of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is why we are worshiping people. This is why we worship God. We worship God because God has changed us. He has enabled us. He's given us a new heart that that now is alive and we can we can study the word of God. We can hear the word of God. We can know God. We can know him as he is. And as we know, as we know him, as he has revealed himself in scripture, we worship. That's what worship is all about. Worship is about is revealing the, the reality that, that holy God has changed the heart of sinful people and enabled them to comprehend something of his nature, something of his character, something of his love in Jesus Christ, and we respond in worship. And, and, and all of this is rooted in the holiness of God doesn't have anything to do with us wicked sinners and 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 we'll see here in our passage the uh we'll look at the tabernacle and we'll see the author describing some of the furniture in the tabernacle he'll describe the the work of the priest uh in the in the tabernacle, and this just gives us a glimpse of of the Old Testament worship. The 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 high priest and the priest they they went in and they served God uh, and and worshipped God in, in their work on behalf of the people. And, and we'll get just get a a little glimpse of 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 God and and His holiness. And and really, it all points to to Christ, the God Man. That's that's ultimately. Uh, what 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 is what we're talking about here in our text is that the Old Testament worshiper didn't have the 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 privilege that we have today. They didn't they didn't have the access to God that we have today. And that should cause us to worship even more, knowing the privileges and the blessings that we have as God's people. Let's look at the. The text, we'll, we'll see that uh, starting uh, with verse one, the writer uh, 
reveals to us that the old covenant was focused on an earthly place, an earthly sanctuary. Look, look at verse one. He says, now even, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. The, 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 the writer of Hebrews wants to show, to show us that the, the old covenant worship, it was earthly. Think about Christ and where he uh, is seated at, at the right hand of the Father. Remember, we, we read about Christ and how he is uh, a minister, a minister at the, at the right hand of God uh, in, the, in, the, in the heavenly in the heavenly throne, he's seated at the right hand of God. He's, he's serving there as our mediator, as our high priest. But the old covenant, the, the old covenant, the, the, the first covenant, the writer says, uh, it is that which is earthly. Notice he calls, he says here, the, the first covenant, that this is the, uh, this is not, per, this is not the first covenant that God made, but it's the Mosaic covenant. Uh, that that the writer is referring to, and and this covenant, the the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that that Moses received uh, upon Mount Sinai. This covenant came with regulations, regulations for worship, or or rules uh, for for uh, govern rules that govern worship, the rules that that govern uh, one's approach to holy God. These these regulations, these these rules for worship, they didn't originate with man. They originated with God. God was the one who gave these regulations for worship. And we, we're going to see uh, these uh, these regulations and some of the regulations in the in the following verses. But but it is God who 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 gave these these rules. And 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 and, and what this teaches us is that God is a God of order. God is a God is a God of order. God has has given us instruction on how to worship him. He gave his people Israel instructions, specific instructions on how they were to worship him. God, God is a, he's a God of order. And, and if we're going to worship him, what we do in worship must be done with reverence, must be done with with reverence. And it, and it must be done in order. You just don't come up in the house, in God's house, and do what you want to do. You don't come up in here and 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 do your own thing. Even though we don't have the the same regulations that the people of Israel had, uh, we 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 still have God's word, and we pattern our worship. Our worship, we we sing, we sing not our words, but we sing God's word. We, we pray, we pray, not our words, but we pray according to the truth of God's word. When we sing and we praise God, we don't praise God with a song that we made up. We sing and praise God with the words that he has given us. That's why when our hymnal is saturated with songs that are centered upon the word of God. We don't come here to 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 do our own thing. It's not a it's not about us. <laughs> Can I say it that way? It's not about us when we come into this house. 
It's about God. It's, it's about God. If you think that it's about you, you're going to be disappointed. Perhaps that's, that's why many people come to church and they're disappointed. They're depressed because they think it's about them. These regulations for worship show that, that the, the worship under the old covenant was, was about God. The tabernacle, the, the, its furniture, the priests, and their service, the sacrifices, everything had something to do with God and his glory. There was, there was, so there were, there were, under the old covenant, there were regulations for worship. That, that regulated what the people and the priests did. But, but notice also, it says not even the first covenant uh, with its regulations for worship. It had, had these regulations. Notice that there was also an earthly place of holiness. God, in his mercy, he, he sanctioned a, 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 a sacred space a sacred space uh, for worship for for his people. Uh, this is the, the writer calls it. He calls it earthly or, or we can say it's worldly. And this this doesn't mean that it was sinful. But what the writer is saying that this this earthly place of holiness was was just a part of the world. It was things that were taken uh, uh, from the world. It wasn't, it's not the, it's not like the, the heavenly tabernacle. It's only a, a picture of the heavenly. But all that, that, that is, is of the tabernacle. Uh, and it, it was, it was basically of the, of the world in which we live in. And, and notice that the writer calls it a place of, of holiness. And this, this indicates that this, this earthly place, which we'll see here, it's a tent or this tabernacle. It, it was a place of uh, that that indicates the holiness of God. All that we're going to read about that was in the tabernacle, in in some way, uh, was a reflection of, of God's holiness. It was a it, it was a uh, it showed the 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 activity of, of uh, in the worship was the activity that was based upon God's holiness. It, it, was, a, it was a place to, to worship holy God. So the writer calls it, he says, a place of holiness. In Psalm 29, verse 2, it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And that's what the tabernacle was all about. The worship, uh, the, the priest going in and offering the sacrifices, the people bringing the sacrifices, all of that and was a way to ascribe, ascribe glory to, to the name of God. Worship, uh, the, the psalmist says, ascribe the, to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And so the priests, the, the, the tabernacle, the, the, the offerings, the sacrifices, all of, and the furniture inside of the tabernacle was a, was a was something of of God reflection of God's glory. Look at verse number two as the author now describes the layout and the the furnishings in the earthly place. This earthly place of holiness. Look at verse two. He says, "For a tent was prepared. God commanded Moses 
uh, to, to build a tent or, or a tabernacle. In Exodus 25, verses 8 through 9, God says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Here's the qualification. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture. So you shall make it. God said you make it exactly. It's, it's, it's going to be a place in which I dwell. But you do everything exactly like I said. And this is what, and so the, for a tent was prepared. This is this this uh, prepared here. Uh, if I remember correctly, it, it's passive. This is this is something that that the people were were doing because of what God has said to Moses on the mountain. This is one again. This is not a the the tent and all this furnishing is not something that man came up with. And Moses was given detailed instructions in regards to the to the tabernacle. And, you know, the tabernacle was was uh, fenced in. It, it had an open courtyard uh, and, and the, the the importance of the tabernacle in, in, in the life of God's people can be seen by by this fact. Listen to what John MacArthur said about the tabernacle and and his reference in scripture. He said that. There's only two chapters in the Bible that talk about creation. But listen to how many chapters in the Bible talk about the tabernacle. He says, but there are old, there are 50 chapters that talk about the tabernacle. It's important. It, 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 it is, it is important. Something uh, that was important to, that should be important to the people of God. It was talked about in 50 chapters. 50 chapters. And this, so this made the, 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 the tent, it, we can see that it's important. Uh, the, this tent, the tabernacle, uh, we know that it was movable. Uh, it was, it, it, it was uh, when the people camped when, during their wanderings in the desert, uh, they, they camped, whenever they wandered, they stopped, they camped, and they set up the tabernacle. It was a, it was it was a it was a, a mobile uh, uh, place of worship. And in in, in Numbers uh, chapter two, verse two, it said that the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, when, when they stopped, they you had the tabernacle and around the tabernacle was the trail, the 12 tribes of Israel. So they they you had the tabernacle, which. Uh, is is a the place of God's presence, and around the tabernacle, the the twelve tribes of Israel, they encamped around it, and all the encampments was facing the tabernacle. And what does that mean? That the the tabernacle was central to to the life of the people of Israel. God's presence, God's presence was central. It was to be, and this is what it, it was a picture of. It was a picture. Of the the that God was is is dwelling among His people. That that He is He He dwells among His people. This 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 dwelling is, is limited and it was a temporary, but nevertheless it was God dwelling 
with his covenant people. And we see something about uh, this that points to Jesus Christ. John chapter one, verse 14, it said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt here is tabernacle. It, it, it are that Jesus pitched his tent among us when Jesus walked upon the earth when in the incarnation Jesus tabernacle Jesus the God man Jesus who is fully God tabernacle among men Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 18 says since the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death this is why he came this is why Jesus tabernacle that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death that is the devil jesus tabernacle among us when he uh, among uh and when he was in the world among the people the people uh the jewish people and so this is this is important uh for us to recognize that that uh god uh, being with his people is, is important. Uh, we now are in Christ and, and Christ is in us. Uh, we, we're the people of God uh, and, and we, we are benefiting even more in a more better way than the people of Israel. All they had was the tabernacle. But we have a more intimate relationship with God than the people of Israel. So there, there was a, uh, this, this, this tent uh, and, and now the author is describing the furniture. Notice he says the, the, the tent had two parts. There was a first section. Uh, it was a, this first section had a, had a, had a veil or a curtain and it, it closed the, the people off, uh, to the, the holy place. This, this, this first section is called, we'll see, it is called the holy place. Uh, it was a place in which the ordinary priest he moved about daily. The, the, the priest went into this first section and they burned incense. They offered prayers and, and they fellowship with God on behalf of the people. And, and the furniture that the, uh, the priest served uh, a service on a daily basis. The first thing we see here is that it's at the first section in which were the lampstands. There was a, a golden lampstand uh, that was uh, that had seven branches. It, it, it had three on each side, uh, branched out like this. And, uh, that, the, that lampstand provided light for the tabernacle. There was no windows in the tabernacle. And it, so the, the lampstand provided light and it burned olive oil. And many will say that this, the fact that it burned oil was a, was a, it represented the Holy Spirit. But so according to Exodus chapter 27, verses 20 through 21, it said that the priests were to ensure that the lamps burn without interruption every day from evening until morning. And so this was one of the, the tasks that the priests had was to ensure that the, the lampstand uh, continued burning day in and day out. And so this, this points to Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Jesus said that he is the light of the world, right? 
Jesus is the is the true light. He enlightens everyone. Uh, John chapter one, verse four and, and verse nine. And so this points to Jesus Christ. Uh, the second object in the holy place uh, in this this first section, you see that there is a table and the bread of presence. Uh, this table was made up of uh, acacia, acacia uh, wood. It was overlaid with gold. And according to Leviticus chapter 24, verses five through nine, the, the priest on top of the table uh, was uh, 12 loaves of bread. It was broke, broken down into two piles of six. And, and this bread was prepared on a, on a weekly basis. It, it, was, it, was, it was fresh bread. And, and every Sabbath, the priest would go in and they would take this bread. They would go in and, and, and take this bread, the old bread out every Sabbath, and they would put in new bread. And they would they would take the old bread and they would eat it. Uh, it was it was it was nourishment for them and it was nourishment for their their uh, their family. And 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 this signified God's way of caring for the for the priests. God God cared for them uh, and and He provided for them. And and it, and and again, this points to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called the what? The bread of life. Jesus Christ. Himself is, is the bread of life. He is the ultimate source of spiritual, eternal life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That's what our Lord said. Then he said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. John 6 and 3. And so uh, it, uh, this, this, this table and, and the, the, this, this bread, uh, the bread of presence, it points forward to Jesus Christ. And, and this first section is, is called, the author says, and the table and the bread of presence, it is called the holy, holy place. And the, uh, again, the average, uh, the, the uh, ordinary Israelite, they could not go into this place. Only the priests were able to go in and worship God on their behalf. And and so we're seeing something about uh, that that is being implied. We're we're seeing limited access, limited access. They uh, the people did not have the access to the tabernacle that the priests had, and we'll see that the priests didn't have the access to the to the most holy place that the high priest had. That there was. The, uh, there were so all of this is pointing to the fact there there's limited access that that uh, that there will be some like the people who are standing outside knowing. Can you imagine you're offering uh, you bring a sacrifice in into the court and you give it to the priest and you know that God's presence is in the tabernacle, or just think if you were the priest who were who was going in on a daily basis you were chosen to go in and serve in the tabernacle and you would go in that first place and you would serve wouldn't you be tempted to go and look behind the you know the you know we got the holiest uh the most holy place right here man god's presence is in there be tempted to go and kind of look behind it but if you did you die so uh 
but but just think about that. You know that you if you if you desire God, you know that his presence is on the other side and you can't go in there. And so we're talking about we're, we're seeing something of of limited access. And this is what this is the point that the author is making in verses one through ten. And, and, and notice. Uh, there was a it said uh, behind the curtain was a, a second section, and this is the most holy place in verse three. And it said, a set, uh, and what the author saying, there was a second curtain. There was a second barrier that closed off uh, the uh, off access of the most holy place, or we know it as the holiest of the holy of holies. This this was the the place of God's presence. Remember, at the time of Jesus Christ, the veil that separated the 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 uh, holy most holy place uh, from the whole it was it was it was ripped in two it, it was ripped in two matthew uh chapter uh 25 uh, 27 verse 51 and so uh this is this place the this most holy place represented god's presence uh, again this was uh god uh this is god's presence in a limited way uh and and it said that behind the second curtain there was a this section, and then notice verse four, having a golden altar of incense. God described this in Exodus chapter thirty, verses one through nine, on this this altar of incense. Uh, this this altar, the incense was burned. It was a, a sweet smelling aroma, uh, and the the incense and the smoke that went up. Uh, one of the things that it represented was the prayers of God's people before the throne of God. And so there was, they said it had it having the uh, altar of incense. But notice the location. If you look at your handout, we, we'll see something wrong. It, it, it's just, uh, th there's something that, that should get our attention. Notice the location of the golden altar of incense. On your, on your handout. Where is it? It's in the, it's in the in the most, uh, it's in the the holy place. It's not in the most holy place. The 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 writer says, uh, in he's he's talking now about the most holy place, and he said uh, that the golden altar of incense is in the most holy place well that that can't be right according to exodus chapter 30 verse 6 the the golden altar of incense it belonged in front of the second veil in the holy place that's where it's at in your handout right it's in the holy place in front in front of the veil so why is it that the author is is saying that it is in it says having the the uh, the golden altar of incense. Did the author not know? Did he forget where it was at? Did he, is he putting it in the wrong place? Well, Kent Hughes, there are many suggestions in regard to this, but I found two that was uh, helpful. Uh, first, Kent Hughes noted in reference, why is it that he is saying that the uh, golden altar of incense uh, is uh, said that it's having the uh, the most holy place have this uh, golden altar incense. This is what Ken Hughes said. 
He said, talking about the writer, quote, he associates it with the inner sanctum because of the vital role the cloud of incense played in covering the high priest's approach as he passed through the curtain on the Day of Atonement. Alan Connor is going to say it a little bit better than uh, Ken Hughes. Alan Connor said this. He agreed with this. He said, what the author has in his mind, not his position. The, the author doesn't have the position of the golden altar of incense in mind. What he has in mind is its function, its theological significance. He said the, the author probably has in mind the day of atonement. What the author is laying out here in verses uh, one through nine is the 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 day of atonement. He has the the the, the role of the uh, the priest and the high priest going in on the day of atonement. And he said, so this is what the author is probably thinking about. And here's the reason why. In Leviticus chapter 16, verses 12 through 13, it says this. And he shall, and talking about on the day of atonement, this is what the high priest would do. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. And two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the cloud and the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. So the, the, the uh, high priest and if he didn't want to die, he took the incense and he it was burned in the most holy place. And as it burned it, 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 in a way, in a, in a, I don't want to say because God can see everything, but in a in a way that which in which we can understand, the priest can understand this incense burned and smoke went up, and in a sense it it blocked. God's view of this sinful high priest. So if that didn't happen, according to Leviticus 16, verses 12 and 13, if it didn't happen, if that that cloud uh, of incense that covered the mercy seat, if it didn't happen, the priest would die. And so this is uh, what the the author is probably referring to not the fact that the the golden altar incense was located in the most holy place, but the fact that the uh, the high priest would take the incense from the altar of incense and burn it in the holy place. And so this is again, this is a, a mystery. Uh, only the writer knows what his intent is, but to uh, but the. To make sense of it, I think these two guys uh, kind of helped us out in understanding uh, of why the author placed it where he placed it. So he said behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place and the Ark uh, of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold. The Ark of the Covenant was acacia wood and it was overlaid with gold and this Ark of the Covenant 
Uh, it went everywhere the people went. Uh, it went everywhere Israel did, even in the battle. Uh, and there's this Ark of the Covenant uh, in, inside of it. The writer says that in which was a golden urn holding the manna. This is Exodus. You can find this in Exodus chapter 16, verse 33. And Aaron's staff that budded. You can find this in Numbers chapter 17, verse 10. And the tablets of the covenant. You can find this in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 9. And uh, above it, verse 5, above it were the cherubim of glory uh, overshadowing the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant, it was, it was topped with the mercy seat. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there were two cherubim. They were facing one another. And this is where the, the presence of God dwelled. And, and on the Day of Atonement, this is what the Leviticus passage talked about. This is what the priest would take, and he would sprinkle blood on, uh, on, the, on, on this, on the uh, Ark of the Covenant. He would sprinkle it, uh, and because of that fact, it would, the, the people's sins would be atoned for. He first sprinkled blood for his sins and his family's sin, and then he Sprinkle, he would come out, then he would go back in and sprinkle blood for the sins of the people. But the fact that the priest would take blood and put it on uh, the Ark of the Covenant, listen to uh, this author and how he talked about the significance of it. The fact that the, the uh, mercy seat covered the Ark of the Covenant in which uh, the tablets of the law, uh, Aaron's bud, and the uh, manna, the container that was holding the manna, and it was covered by the mercy seat. The, this author said, listen to what he said. He said, God knew that Israel would utterly break the law written on the tablets of stone. The tablets placed inside uh, the Ark of the Covenant covered uh, by the uh, mercy seat. He said that this, the fact that it was covered by the mercy, he, because God knew that they would break his law. Uh, he, he knew that they would reject his bread and demand of the food. Uh, he said that he knew that they were like a dead stump, uh, which Isaiah talks, uh, talks about the, the stump in which talking about Christ said uh, they were like a dead stump, a dead stick that could not, that could only bud again through miraculous grace. And so the top of the Ark of the Covenant covered the bud of Aaron's rod, the manna, and the, the tablets of the first covenant inside. And which signified God's, God's mercy. And, and, and it pointed to the fact that Christ uh, would cover, he would take our sins, he would deal with our sins. And so now our sins, as we stand before God, are we, we, we don't have to worry about our sins. Uh, God, uh, Christ has dealt with our sins in a way that uh, we now can have a focus of, of a clean conscience and worship. And so the writer, he says, uh, he, he didn't give us all the detail that I'm giving you. He says of these things, we cannot, uh, we cannot now speak in detail because that's really not his focus. His focus is really not on explaining uh, what uh, what these these, uh, these things meant. But notice uh, verse six, 
He goes from inside the tabernacle uh, first place, and he talks about uh, the priests and their duty in that place. Verse 6, the preparations have thus been made. The priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. Uh, this, they went in and this is something they, they performed uh, over and over again. The priests would go in and perform their duties repeatedly. The work was never done. This is what it this, this pointed to. Uh, this sinful man apart from, uh, apart from Christ. Uh, there, there's nothing that we could do to, to work our way to heaven. So these priests, their work was never done. They continually performed their duty. And in this first place in which the priests went, the people couldn't go uh, into this place. Uh, so j just think about if, if you, you're thinking about uh, Christ and the blessing that we have, uh, it should point, point out that the fact that uh, we're, we're blessed, uh, blessed to have a great high priest in Christ, blessed to have Christ who has gone not into the tabernacle, but who has gone into heaven on our behalf. So it said the preparations for, and, and, and what is the author doing? He's trying to woo these Jewish believers away from going back to the old covenant way of worship. And he said, look, the priests, they're doing their work daily. Verse seven, he says, but in the second, only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself. So there's work going on in the in the first uh, first place uh, daily. In the second place, the high priest himself could one person can only go in there once a year. And when he went in, he had to take blood with him. Uh, he 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 couldn't go in without blood. Uh, he would go in with fear and trembling. Uh, and he went in understanding that he was a, a sinner, just like the people. And notice what the writer says about the sacrifices that uh, for the sins that the people committed. He said, and for the unintentional sins of the people. This is what the sacrifices were for. It was for the un, uh, unintentional sins, the sins that the people committed in ignorance. What about the sins that the people willfully committed, like David? What was the, the was, was their sacrifice for those sins? What did those sins deserve? Death. If, 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 if the sacrifices for that the priest was offering was for unintentional sins, and think about David when he sinned, when he committed adultery, it was intentional. He committed an intentional sin. Why didn't he die? Because there was no sacrifice for that sin under the old covenant. Well, it was pointing to Christ. It, it, it pointed to, to Christ because Christ, his sacrifice was for the unintentional sins and the intentional sins. And when God looked at David and said to David, your sins are forgiven 
to David. He was forgiving David's sins based on what Christ would do in the future. And that's what all of these, all of this pointed to. It pointed to what Christ would do in the future. Because we, we see the issue. Look at the issue in verses 8 and 9. The Holy Spirit, the writer says, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing. It's just, the, 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 he says that the, the point that the Holy Spirit is making is that, is that the way uh, to, for all the people to have access to God's presence has not been revealed. As long as the tabernacle is, is, is still in, in existence, uh, they're, they're, the people, they had limited access to God's presence. But when Christ came, the, the veil was removed and the way to God was open for all who believe. And this is what the Holy Spirit was pointing out. The author said, verse nine says, which is symbolic for the present age. According to the arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Each time the sacrifice was offered, the person that was offering the sacrifice had a guilty conscience. Their conscience was not perfected. And so this is this is what uh, the, the writer is saying, the old covenant, it didn't perfect or cleanse the conscience. The people offered sacrifices. They gave gifts time and time again. Uh, and, and yet they were enslaved. They were still enslaved because these sacrifices, the gifts, all that the priests did, these were just external things. When they offered the sacrifices, the sins were just, they were only covered. They wasn't dealt with. And Phil Newton said this, in reference to a guilty conscience, he said, a conscience imprisoned by guilt enslaves a person in his worship, service, prayer, witness, and affections, end quote. In a sense, uh, the, the people recognized that sin was always, with, when, when you offer one sacrifice, you realize the consequence of your sin as you saw the blood. And, and you offered the sacrifice and you realize that that the, the your knowledge of that sin was still present. They had a had a guilty conscience. Uh, sin was always it's, it's you know, it's sort of like what Paul said in Romans chapter seven and talking about even uh, as a as a believer. He said that sin is present with the one who wills to do good. And just imagine Paul as he's a believer. But just imagine these people who didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have. They didn't have the cleansing of Jesus Christ like we have. So the, the, the writer is saying that these things only dealt with the, the outward. The, the verse 10, but deal only with food and drink and various washing regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Jesus Christ, his sacrifice alone cleanses 
our conscience so that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. The old covenant couldn't offer that. All the old covenant offered was external things. All external, you know, offering the sacrifices, priests, external work. What they did was all external. Didn't mean that their heart was changed. But for us, under the new covenant, Jesus is a better tabernacle, which we'll look at next week. Jesus is a better high priest. And the new covenant, the covenant which he mediates, it is because he died and the veil was torn. And because of of that, we have true righteousness. God said, I will put my laws in their hearts, uh, in their minds and write it on their hearts. We'll know God personally. Our, Our sins are forgiven. Why? It's because of Christ. The, the the true tabernacle, the, the, the perfect priest, the perfect lamb of God who offered his sins for us. So all of this is just a way for us to understand Christ, understand God's holiness, understand uh, the blessing and the privileges that we have in Jesus Christ. It's probably one of the hardest passages I had to go through and study and prepare to preach. You don't hear anybody preaching on Hebrews chapter 9, do you? When last time you heard a sermon, and you know, just somebody go to Hebrews chapter 9 and just preach from that. It's one of the, it's, it's tough, but thank God for his grace. Thank God for uh, men who have studied these passages and uh, given us wisdom. So as I close, think on Christ. This, all of this is about Christ, Jesus Christ. Thinking about the fact that God's presence was in the most holy place and the only person that had access to the most holy place was the high priest and he went in once a year. Once a year. All the people, didn't. the people of Israel didn't have access to the presence of God. The ordinary priest didn't have access to the presence of God. And even the, the, the high priest, when he went in, he had to offer uh, uh, sacrifices for himself uh, before he went in. But in Christ, the door is open. First uh, Peter chapter one, verse 19 said, we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The, the, the lamb without blemish or spot. Of Romans chapter 12, because of Christ and, and the fact that he has Get in him, we have access to the Father because of Christ. Now we can, according to Romans 12 and 1, by God's mercy, we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We, we don't need we don't need an animal sacrifice anymore. Christ has become uh, the sacrifice, necessary sacrifice for us to be able to worship and serve God in a way the writer uh, Paul says that we can now present our bodies. All that we are, we can present it as a living sacrifice to God. God, do with what you will with me because of what Christ has done. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 and 20 says, you're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God 
in your body. We can do that. We can, we can glorify God. We can, we can go and we can pray and, 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 and understanding that God hears our prayer. We fellowship with God in an in a intimate way because of what Christ has done for us. And this is what this pat, this is what it's pointing to. The people in the Old Testament didn't have it like we have. And so the author is telling these New Testament believers, don't go back to that old system. Because you're going to you're going to it's almost like. A dog. Returning to his vomit. That which he should reject. How many? That's kind of nasty. Ain't it? You know, you vomit who goes and vomit and go and take it up and like and eat it makes me sick even thinking about it and the author said don't go back (laughs) don't go back to that you have in christ something much better amen amen let's pray father i thank you that these truths are that are hard to understand thank you that you, through these truths, speak of Christ. You speak of, of your holiness. It speaks of the seriousness in which we are to live our lives on a daily basis. You have bought us with the blood of Christ. You own us. Christ is our Lord. Christ is our Savior. And, and 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 because Christ has we have been redeemed in Christ, we're free to serve Christ, not as slaves of, of, of where we're we're serving and our heart is not in it. No, we can now serve Christ with a with a loving heart, with a willing mind, and with a willing heart. We we can present ourselves to Christ and and and, and all that we are. And want to do it. And, and, and that is because of what Christ has done. And the, the, the blessing that we have, Father, it, it far outweighs the blessing that your people had in the Old Testament. We know you in, in a deep, robust ways, in ways that shape our lives every day. And it's because of Christ. It's because of the, the, the work of Christ. And Father, I pray that as, as we continue to go through Hebrews, we, we understand, we, we, we come to an understanding of the necessity of what the author will say in Hebrews chapter 12, that we're to, to consider Christ, that we're to, 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 to consider Christ, who, who in a sense gave up everything for us. And he gave up everything willingly for the joy that was set before him. I pray that we have the same joy as we understand that Christ, he has opened the way for us to have access to you. And one day we're going to be with you to see you as you is for all eternity. We're talking about the efficacy of the work of Christ. That work is 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 so effective that we who are sinners now in these sinful bodies 
will be able to enjoy perfect fellowship with you. And this is what this passage is pointing to. How that should stir our hearts that one day we're going to be able to experience that which our hearts long for. To be with you. And Father, if there are those who don't have that desire in this place, if they're listening online, if they don't have the heart to to know you, to love you, I pray, Father, that you would give them that heart, that they would see something of of your mercy in Jesus Christ, something of, of their need of Jesus Christ, so that they will come running on their and fall on their knees before you and embrace Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for Hebrews. I thank you for the writers who have written on this wonderful book. And I pray that you will continue to bless us with this wonderful truth. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.